0: Welcome to the Holden Village podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. So um, I'm Terry Kylo. I've been a Lutheran pastor for 28 years now. Um, I grew up in eastern Washington State. Always heard about Holden Village, but I never had the money to come you know, kind of as a kid, or at least my parents didn't have the imagination to send me. And it was a pretty small conservative congregation, so they probably weren't too interested in sending people to hold exactly, but I always kind of wanted to come. And so once I started doing ministry, you know, Western Washington was able to come with my family and my kids a number of times. And, and then, of course, the girls got into sports that, that are 24-7, 365, and that made it tougher to kind of come. But I've been here at least 10 times now. I've been on teaching staff uh, two or three years, and it's been really a wonderful gift to do that. I come up here as the director of two organizations that are now getting ready to merge, um, Neighbors and Faith, in which I try to counter Islamophobia and build the beloved community and uh, respond to the anti-Muslim hate groups in the country that spend between 30 and 40 million a year, right here around since 2010, really, to try to generate fear and do dehumanization of our uh, American Muslim neighbors. I'm also the director of the Tracy Babin Center, which historically was Camp Brotherhood, um, really began as a rabbi and a priest, began to do an interfaith talk show in the 1960s and 70s in, in Seattle, which was kind of a first of its kind. Um, we've since now um, sold the camp that we had. It was an interfaith camp uh, and have begun uh, Challenge 2.0, uh, interfaith talk show once again, Going, and we have uh, some really great, great folk on those shows. But the, the core reason that I want to be part of those two organizations right now is because I think uh, dehumanization is on the rise. And we have to be really thoughtful in our understanding of what dehumanization is and how it functions. Dehumanization is when someone proposes there's a mess in the them, and the them is a threat either to the vulnerable, it's a threat to our culture or it's a threat to our physical existence. And what happens in human beings is that when someone proposes to them that's a threat, the fear becomes real, even if the threat really isn't. And so on the basis of that fear, then people begin to be very watchful and vigilant. And then um, dehumanization continues by proposing that any member of a group that does something wrong, that does something violent or, or says something that, that seems you know a bit off or exclusionary, then begins to represent the whole. So there's a kind of collective blame that happens. And, uh, and the whole idea behind dehumanization, the way it functions, isn't simply to authorize people who like to do violence to do violence. The real danger of dehumanization is that it, it basically teaches people who want to do good, who want to be loving of their family and their community, that it's right, even necessary, even heroic, uh, to do violence to this group that is a threat to us. And that's the way dehumanization works. In the last century, in the 20th century, 262 million people were murdered by their government. That's like two thirds or three, you know, to three quarters of the population of the US right now. In all of those cases, scholars have gone in and looked at the messaging from the governments, including Nazi Germany, and they've sort of Uh, helped us to understand the way that dehumanization process works. And so that whole process is about creating the atmosphere in which good people either look away when violence is happening to a a minority group or participate in it. And so both the organizations I'm part of, the Tracy Levine Center right now more, more generally, Neighbors in Faith more specifically, is trying to counter that dehumanization process And I feel that it's important for me to do that as a Lutheran pastor, because we can learn from the silence of Lutherans, from the complicity of Lutherans and the participation of Lutherans in the murder of our Jewish neighbors in Germany. Like we can learn from that and not make that mistake. But the thing we have to understand, and this is such a strange thing for me to say here, but but pastors sometimes say to me, oh, well, it's a pendulum and it's getting worse right now, but it'll get better later. And of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer heard that same kind of thing. Well, Hitler doesn't really mean it. You know, he doesn't really, it's not going to go that far. Um, But then it did. And we also have to recognize that however heroic Dietrich Bonhoeffer and many other people who have resisted uh, the Nazi ideology and their policies, um, they failed. It is not too late for us at this point at all, as Americans and as people of faith and specifically as Christians, um, to stand with people that are being dehumanized, especially those that are being dehumanized on the basis of religion. Because if Muslims are being dehumanized right now, if our Jewish neighbors are being dehumanized, it really is up to the to the majority Christians to stand up and to stand with them and to be public. And the key to this is really very simple. It's not really very complex. It is to build relationships with people um, in your community who are from a different culture or tradition or religious tradition, whether it's atheist or agnostic or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever it is, and do three simple things. So congregations don't have to like learn everything about everybody, but, but begin that process by eating together and telling stories once a year, just one evening, once a year, get together with these different communities and do a service project You get to know people like crazy when you're, you know, working on a play area for the kids or whatever. And then number three, march in a parade or show up at a public festival together. And then what happens is that people begin to say, oh, hey, well, if if all those Christians are hanging out with those people and we kind of know Christians, then maybe we're wrong about the thing that we thought about those people. And then a lot of it goes back to the Eighth Commandment. Um, you know, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, and Luther talked about uh, in his explanation of that about speaking well of your neighbor because he knew, and I think our our Jewish ancestors and in, in the faith knew that to speak negatively about people does create violence, it does begin to dehumanize, and so what 's the other answer don 't try to debate people about that faith or about people in it. Just tell positive stories. The way to answer. A false witness is to tell a positive story, which is precisely what Jesus does about the Good Samaritan. You know, the Good Samaritan didn't exist. That's not a story that probably happened. Jesus told a story about how this person who's a member of a different racial and religious minority had had the humanity, both because of their own humanity and because of their tradition, to love a vulnerable Jewish person. And we can do that same thing by sharing positive stories. And helping people to get to know a people of other traditions and realize that we share so much. The deepest thing we share, and of course this comes directly from the Abrahamic tradition, is that we're all part of one humanity because there's one creator who made all of us. And as it says in the book of Revelation chapter 21, It doesn't say, and all the people who are exactly the same and from the same culture and all eat the same food and worship the same way will come into the new city of Jerusalem. It says the peoples come. Well, we get a chance in this moment of dehumanization to remember not only who we are um, as individuals, not to remember not only our values as people of faith or as Americans, but we get to begin to live out a little bit that vision of God of all the peoples of the world sitting around and having a good time, having a great meal. And uh, and so it's a beautiful thing to be a part of two organizations that are trying to work on that and encourage that. And there are so many examples out there of people doing great work, um, reaching out to their neighbor, rehumanizing um, ourselves to each other, and pushing back on this dehumanization, because I really believe we don't have to live this way. So it's just it's been great to be at Holden this week. We had great interfaith week. We're learning about how we're going to handle it next year a little bit and thinking about how we can maintain Christian worship for the Christians who come, but also learning how to create space for the Muslims so they have a place to pray. We're hoping to have more Jewish folk next year, a, a specific place for them to pray and thinking about, you know, some collaborative worships between the three faiths um, so that we can you know, experience that a bit. But we also want there to be really great Christian worship here and learning how to, how to be with folk that are different and yet also share so many values and stories and traditions and, and make it a really rich environment for next year. But this year we took a great big step. We had a number of Jewish and Muslim families uh, come. We had some Christian families come up because they wanted to engage. And I'm just looking forward to the planning process for, for 2020. It's going to be really fun. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.